Hello, everyone. Good to see all your great faces, even though it's a little dark out there. Kelly, thank you so much for, for praying and inviting the Holy Spirit, because we do absolutely welcome him today. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I would have been very excited if my team was going to the Super Bowl. If you watched the game two weeks ago, you'll know that I'm still very bitter about the Jags losing to the Patriots. So I've been in hibernation for a couple weeks, it feels like. In fact, actually, I can't see everyone's face real well, but how many of you guys today are going for the Eagles? Show of hands. Okay, so there's a lot of people. Now, let's see, just for a couple of you, how many of you guys are going for the Patriots? Please raise your hand. Brooke, you're going to raise your hand. Oh, well, I figured that, yes, the Kellys. Okay, and Rick Holderreed. Okay, you're getting the individual call out today. I want you guys to know I will definitely be avoiding you after the service. So I don't, I don't want to see anyone that is a Patriots fan. No, um, it's, a, it's a really great Sunday today, and I'm excited you're here. I cannot believe that uh, it's snowing the way it was yesterday. You know, went to, went to sleep. I was like, okay, and uh, now it's white Christmas all over again. So thank you for making the trek out here. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about something that um, I think some of us wrestle with. In fact, I think all of us wrestle with it. I think all of us get to this place in our lives where we have to take a moment and ask ourselves, are we doing this particular thing that I'm going to talk about? And what I'm going to talk about this morning is obedience. Now, we're calling it blessing in the burden because I think sometimes when we look at this idea of obedience, if you're like me, you're thinking, oh man, that doesn't sound very fun. Because here, here's what I hear when I, when I think obedience. Clean your room, take out the trash, do the dishes. All those things that, man, they don't sound a lot of fun, I'll tell you that much. I mean, taking out the trash can only be fun so many times, right? Doing the dishes, I mean, it's, when I think of obedience, I think all the time of doing something out of obligation. I have to make sure that I'm doing this, for, there's a certain purpose for it, and I got to do it, and even if I don't understand it, but I'm just going to kind of do this. And I think we get to this place sometimes in our lives where we forget that obedience is a two-way street, and God likes to use this. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity, and I want to give myself an opportunity, and we're going to do this through communion. We're going to do it at the end of the service, and I think we have the opportunity in our everyday lives to obey God. In fact, I know we do. Sometimes it gets a little flustered. Our lives get a little flustered. Our relationships get a little flustered. Our marriages get a little flustered. Our relationships with our kids, our coworkers, all these things get flustered. And I think there's been times where God's looked at you and he's looked at me and said, I have something greater for you and I have an opportunity for you and I need you to step out and obey. <clears throat> this morning, I'd like to start us off. I know Kelly just, just took a, a moment to pray, but I'd like to, to take just a moment to pray too. So if you, could, if you could quiet your hearts and you could bow your heads, would you join me in prayer real quick? Lord, the reason I want to take a moment to do this <clears throat> is simply because we are looking to you this morning. We drove through the snow, the sleet, the cold, got out of our warm beds, got our kids dressed. And we have an hour together this morning. And we absolutely invite you, Holy Spirit, and just as Kelly said, God, you are welcome here. But I don't, I don't want to just pray for Waypoint. 
I want to pray for all the churches in the area this morning, God, because you know what? This is about your kingdom. This has never been about Waypoint. This is about Jesus. And so I ask for all the churches in the area this morning that you would bring the people there safely, that you would fill up their buildings with people who, who want to know you and want to get to know you and want to learn about you. And I ask this morning that we would be focused on, in these next 25 to 30 minutes, we would be focused on what you have through obedience, God. And I just ask that, that you would allow us to see that there is something there. There is some real juice here. Thank you for all that you've done. And Holy Spirit, I again say that you are absolutely welcome in here. Move in our hearts this morning. Because if you're not here, nothing ever changes because we cannot change ourselves. You are the only one capable of changing. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. It's in your amazing name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, it'll be up on the screen if you don't. We're going to jump to a couple, couple parts of, of Scripture. But before we do, I want to show you a picture. This picture that's going to pop up on the screen is called the Adad Gate. It's in Nineveh. And um, it's actually in 2016, ISIS destroyed some of it. So it's kind of disappointing. Um, the Iraqis have done a good job of trying to maintain, maintain this. But basically what this is, this is a part of the Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, if you will. This is the Adad Gate. And what it does, it does so many things of protection. It has so many things of uh, prosperity. This was a happening place. I'm telling you what. If you wanted to be kind of the cool cat, you were going to be hanging out in the Adad Gate. This place was filled with just uh, rulers, em emperors, all different types of, of people. And as I was doing a little bit of reading about it, um, it is very interesting as we read about the Assyrian Empire and what that looked like. This was also a very bad culture. People were doing <laughs> bad things that I probably can't talk about on stage. A lot of things that were happening in this gate were very sinful in nature. A lot of affairs going on. A lot of murders going on. A lot of different things that were going on that were taking place that were not pleasing to God whatsoever. And this society had built this culture over time, and before you know it, they, they were lost, and God's like, here's the deal, these people have turned their backs on me, they're sinners, they're struggling, and the Ninevites have chosen to not be in relationship with me, to not honor me, and they are sinful people. Now, God's getting really frustrated, and as we know, God chooses to use us. He chooses to use people, which I've always thought is so cool, because he doesn't need to use us, he wants to use us. And so I've talked about this before, but these Ninevite people, they would not have been very friendly people either. And sometimes when I heard the story of Jonah, it's a very peaceful story. And I've talked about this before, but, you know, you go to Sunday school and you see the big peaceful blue whale and, and the, the ocean, the nice, you know, ocean. And Jonah's got this big smile on his face because he's about ready to get, you know, swallowed by a big fish. And, of course, that's fun. We've all been swallowed by a big fish. But it's like... This is going to be a real good time. That's, that's what I feel like sometimes when we're in Sunday school we see, and that's great. But I want to tell you how it really was, because there's some, there's some real deep-rooted stuff in the Jonah story. First of all, God comes to Jonah, and he basically is like, I got a message for you. And I want you to take it to these people, because they've sinned against me. They're not doing what I want. They've fallen off the face of the earth, basically. And unfortunately, what's taking place is they need a messenger. They need somebody that can come in and tell them 
what they're doing is not honoring God. And so Jonah 1, 1 through 3, this is what it says. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, this is a huge deal right here, this part. He's saying preach against this. Most of the time when somebody comes up to you with confrontation, unless you just love confrontation, most of the time somebody would come up to you with confrontation, it probably stings a little bit. It probably hurts a little bit. It's not probably exactly what you want to hear. So keep in mind, God is not saying, hey, go tell these people that they're just doing great. I want you to be the encourager, the messenger of encouragement. This is not happening. He's like, I want you to go to these people, and I want you to preach against what they're doing because wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to, to flee from the Lord. Not the exact story that we want to hear, right? Because most of the time we'd want to hear, oh, God asks him, and he's like, yeah, I'm in. Sounds good. Ninevites? Totally. Here's what the Ninevite people did to people that they didn't like. And this is known in their culture, but I'm just going to give you one of the examples, and there's many. The Ninevites were incredibly cruel, and if they didn't like you or what you had to say or you brought a message to them that was not hmm, exactly what they wanted to hear, you'd find yourself buried in the sand up to your neck where they would cut your tongue out and you would bleed to death. This is a known thing in the Ninevite culture. We can read about this, and I'm telling you, it doesn't sound like a good time. <laughs> and they're over here. They're asking. God is literally saying, Jonah, I want you to go tell these people that they're not doing what I want them to do. I want you to go preach against their wickedness. I want you to go basically say, you got to turn your ways. I identify with Jonah right now in this story because I can tell you I'm not going there. Maybe you're that brave person. You'd, you'd, you'd just say, you know what? I'm in. Sounds good. I like getting buried in the sand. I don't think that's the case. But here's the deal. Most people are probably not going there because this is a really, really scary thing for Jonah. So what does he do? He runs the other way. We know exactly what happens because God doesn't need to use people. He chooses to use people. After God basically tells Jonah this, he could have easily given up. He could have said, yeah, this guy's not doing it. I'm good. I'll just use this guy over here. But you know what? He wanted to use Jonah because he wanted to grow something in him. He wanted to build something in him. So he takes this great fish, swallows him up after he gets thrown overboard. Jonah learns his lesson, if you will. He goes and preaches the message. Now, if you, if you read later on in Jonah, there's some, still some controversy between him and God. They wrestled a lot. But the first part that I want to tell you about obedience is sometimes the asks are difficult. Sometimes the asks are difficult. I don't know exactly what God is asking you this morning to obey and how he's asking you or what he's asking you to do, but I can tell you that sometimes the asks are difficult. You know, <clears throat> when, when you start getting asked by God to do things, suddenly you start appreciating the little things like do the dishes because that's easy or take out the trash because that's easy. But how, come, how about when God says, I want you to be a better husband? How about when God looks at you and says, I want you to be a better employee? How about God, when God looks at you and says, I want you to stop stealing from your company? How about when God looks at you and says, I want you to end this affair? How about when God looks at you and he says, you're not being a great parent right now, and I have better plans for you. All of a sudden, taking out the trash and doing the dishes looks a lot easier. Sometimes the asks are difficult. 
There's three stories that we're going to try and highlight this morning, and the next one is in Genesis 22, 1 through 13. This story to me absolutely is mesmerizing. You've all heard it, but it's incredibly, it's just nuts, honestly. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham, obviously a great man, one of the one of the Bible heroes, we love Abraham. He says to him, Abraham, Abraham says, here am I, he replied. Then God said, hey, I want you to do something. Now, this isn't a normal ask, but I want you to do something. I want you to take your son, your only son, by the way, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the, re- the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Holy cow. In three, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had, when he had cut enough wood for the uh, burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, why don't you stay here? The boy and I are going to go over there. <clears throat> we will worship him and we'll come back to you. I don't know because it doesn't say, but I'm not sure his people knew exactly what he was about to do. Um, From the text that I read, I'm not even sure up to the point, at this point, his son even knows what's about to happen. Now, we know what happens. We know what happens. And so, therefore, it's easy for us to look back and think, oh, this isn't a big deal because he doesn't end up doing it. But I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes in this very moment. Please, if you can do this, I don't care if if it gets you emotional, that's fine. I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes right now, and you have to sacrifice one of your children, somebody uh, that means more than anything you could possibly imagine. I cannot imagine sacrificing my son. I can't imagine doing anything that would harm him. And in this moment, Abraham does not know what's going to happen. All he knows is that he's supposed to sacrifice his son. He ties his son up. He raises his sword up. And it's in that moment that an angel says, whoa, Abraham, we don't, you don't need to do this. Essentially, this was a test, and we want to we let you know, God wants to let you know that here's the deal. You are committed to him. You are dedicated to him. And for this, you'll be blessed. What a relief that would have been. Here's the deal is that sometimes the asks are confusing. Sometimes the asks are confusing. Has God ever asked you to do something? You don't even understand what he's trying to do. You don't even understand what he's trying to say. You don't understand how he could possibly work, be working that way, and you have no idea what he's up to. And you think, I know best, because that's been me. There's been many times that God has asked me to do something, and I've thought, I know, I know best, God. This is definitely not the route. This absolutely makes no sense. Why would I do that? Why would Abraham do that? That makes no sense. But it wasn't about if it makes sense or not. It was about obedience. And in that moment, Abraham chose to obey God. In Judges 6 through 12, there's another story that I find really cool. It's the story of Gideon. Give you a little bit of background on Gideon. He's out in the wheat field. Everything seems like it's, you know, it's probably peaches, even though at this point, his people are getting getting tortured, their land is getting taken, this is not, things aren't going great for Gideon, but he's out in the wheat field, and he's a poor, he's a poor guy, he comes from a poor family, and in fact, when God asks him to do something, he uses this as an excuse, essentially, because there's humility in him, and he says, 
oh man, God, I, I definitely couldn't do that because I come from a poor family and I'm weak and I'm definitely not a hero. Here's what God asked Gideon to do. This is a big deal. In Judges 6, 12 to 16, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> Gideon says, wait, pardon me? But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? So now Gideon's even questioned, well, why could this possibly take place to all my people? What is happening, God? Where all of this wonders and our ancestors told us about, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and give us, given us into the land, the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He asked again, pardon me, Lord? Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. This is very crazy when I think about this. I actually get, no, no pun intended, but I get really giddy when I think of the story of Gideon. This is crazy right now. Here's exactly what's happening. God comes to the least of these, if you will. He comes to Gideon, who is a person that man, this guy shouldn't be leading anybody. He's out in the wheat field. Yeah, he's got some humility, but that doesn't necessarily make him a leader. Uh, I'm, I, it, it, what are we doing here, God? Are you kidding me? You're gonna use Gideon to save the Israelites. You just used Moses, which still we're all confused about that because this guy couldn't speak. He was struggling, but God chooses to use those type of people, and all of a sudden he's using Gideon. Now, this is crazy. I wanna tell you why this is so crazy because Gideon is not only come from a poor family, there's no hope for this guy being a leader if you think about it because of all the circumstances. He's out in the wheat field, which is the lowest of the lows. He actually doesn't even have the amount of men to do this. It says this in Judges. He's gonna take 32,000 men to war with him and there's 135,000 up against him. So the numbers, so not only is he not qualified to lead, but he doesn't even have the right amount of people to help him. <clears throat> He's outnumbered. And it gets even crazier. Just when you think it couldn't get crazier. God says, hey, I know you have 32,000 people, but I want to make sure that Israel doesn't think it's the amount of men. I want them to actually know it's me. So I want you to talk to them and tell them whoever is afraid can go home. Gideon goes to his army of 32,000. I can imagine it would have probably went something like this. Obviously, we're outnumbered. Uh, they have 135,000, we have 32,000. You do the math, things aren't really going in our favor. I'm kind, I mean, God sent me, but I'm not even sure, like, he's probably thinking, am I the right guy? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if we can, I don't know, if, we can, if each one of you guys can take like five or six guys by yourself, that'll probably be okay. Is that, is that gonna work for you? And you know, probably a bunch of mumbling, no, no, that's not gonna work. And then he says, and if you're scared, can actually go home. 22,000 men leave him at that moment. It's getting crazier. Now God says, I want you to take the 10,000 that you have left. So now it's 10,000 to 135,000. Now he's got to be incredibly discouraged thinking, Lord, I definitely don't know what you're doing. And he takes them all down and, and some of them lose sight. And 9,700 of those individuals, God does not want to take the battle. Gideon takes 300 people to battle. And this is what it says in verse 10. It's not, it's not up on the screen. It says, now Zeba and Zalmunna, I believe that's how it's pronounced, were in Karkor with a force of about 15,000 men. 
All that were left of the armies of the eastern people, 120,000 swords, had already been fallen. Wow, 300 men. They've already taken down 125,000 people. In that moment, God didn't want Israel to think it was Gideon because it wasn't. He wouldn't have been able to do it if he probably had all the men by himself because he was not up for the challenge at the moment before God asked him. He was out in a wheat field. And God makes it even crazier when he gives him an opportunity when there's 35,000 men. He makes him lose 22,000 men, essentially. He gets down to 300, and 300 men defeat 135,000 men. That is the ask here. And so I want to tell you that sometimes the asks seem impossible. There's things that God might be asking you, things that you don't quite understand because you're confused or things that are difficult like we talked about. But the last thing might be, God, there is no way I could do that. There is simply no way that I could stop doing this, this particular thing because I'm so wrapped up in it. There's, there's just no way. Or, God, there's no way I could do that because I'm not equipped. I'm not skilled. I'm not talented enough. Have you ever asked yourself that? Am I, am I good enough? Has God ever called you to something and talked to you about something or wanted you to do something and you've thought, there's no way I can do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not skilled enough. I have. And when you're at that place, there's no way that you want to obey because you think you're going to fail. I'm sure in that moment, Gideon thought he was going to fail. All odds were against him. He maybe didn't even have the right skill set, but you know what he did? He chose to obey. And sometimes the ask seems impossible. There's two things in 1 John that I, I've always thought were kind of neat, and we're going to boil this all together, and then I want to kind of close out. But this is what it says in 1 John. It's really powerful. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, that if we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's powerful. If we love God, we have to choose to obey him. So I'm setting us up for a couple things here. In 1 John 5, 1 through 4, it says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, that's how we know we love God when we're obeying his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Here's a couple things as we boil this down that I want to let you know about obedience. Not only is it difficult, not only is it confusing, not only does it seem impossible at times, but challenging asks are an opportunity for us to grow. You see, I want to shift your mindset today. That's my hope, hope is that I shift your mindset that obedience is not a bad thing. It challenging, challenging asks are an opportunity for us to show God our priorities. Challenging asks are an opportunity for us to refocus our attention. Challenging asks are an opportunity for us to show God our dedication. I want to give you a couple examples of this. As we just looked, God... God didn't need to use Jonah. Why did he use Jonah? Because God wanted to grow boldness in Jonah. He wanted to say, you know what? You're, you're afraid. You don't have what it takes. And that's why I'm going to ask you. And I want you to boldly go to the Ninevites. And I want you to proclaim the good news. God wanted to grow confidence in David. They, said, they say that Goliath was nine foot three. That's a big dude. 
and Goliath is over there, and he's challenging David. And, you know, he's basically, he's taken down everybody. Everybody's afraid. They said if the, that if people would have got too close to him, he would crush them. And David, he needs to grow his confidence because he's going to be king. And all of a sudden, this, this dude comes with this little guy who's not nine foot three. I can tell you, David, he grabs a slingshot and a stone, and he takes down Goliath. What did God do when he asked David to step up here? He grew his confidence. God wanted to grow loyalty in Abraham. He wanted him to see, are you willing to do this? He grew loyalty. God wanted to grow passion in Paul. This guy was killing Christians. He was making a mess. But God changed his heart and wanted to grow complete passion in him. And when he chose to go from Saul to Paul, in that moment, God was growing passion in him because he chose to obey and live the rest of his days out for the kingdom of God. And God wanted to grow dedication in Peter. Peter's a very interesting guy. This guy walked with Jesus. He was with him. He wasn't just this companion that God had. I believe that Jesus was good friends with Peter. He loved Peter. He cared about Peter. He wanted to be a part of Peter's life. He sacrificed for Peter. And in that moment when he had an opportunity to, to, to really show boldness and courage and all the things that God needed him to do, Peter, what does he do? He denies him. In that moment that was so crucial that God set him up and said, here's the deal. One of you guys is going to deny me. Peter in that moment had an opportunity to show his dedication, and he chose not to obey three times, in fact. And we later see that Peter recognizes this, because when Jesus comes to the shore, it shows that they're having a meal together. It talks about in the Bible that Peter and Jesus have a meal together. And in the Israeli culture, what having a meal together means is that we're okay. It's like shaking hands or giving a hug. So we know that Peter learned from that. And I believe in that moment, Peter grew his dedication. If you don't hear anything that I say, please listen to this right here because this is where I'm headed. Obedience to God is an opportunity for us to discover our weaknesses and grow in them. That is literally what obedience is. You see, obedience is a two-way street. We think that when we're obeying, we're just doing something because we have to do it. Or that's, that's kind of what God wants, and I don't get it, but I'm going to do it because I'm following after him. And I think he looks at us, and he's like, here's the deal. When I ask you to do something, I actually recognize a weakness because I know you. And I'd love if you could recognize that weakness in yourself. I'll give you an example. A lot of times I come home from work. I'm tired just like you guys are. I got my little two-year-old son's running around. He's crazy, and I get home, and he gets so excited, and he's like, Daddy. And I give him a big hug, and I, I go give Wells a hug, and I give Megan a hug and kiss, and I, I walk over, and, and Kay says, will you play with me? And I'm like, yes, I really want to play with you because I am stoked, but I also have maybe a couple more things to do, or I want to kind of be on my phone and unwind, or I want to do some stuff that, that involves me selfishly. And uh, I've been feeling lately in the last couple months that I need to be present. I have a lot of flaws. I'm a flawed individual. And God's been kind of asking me, when you come home, will you just be present? Would you put your phone down? Would you turn ESPN off? Would you play with your son? Would you ask your wife about her day? Would you be a better husband? And I originally, when I sensed the Holy Spirit asking me this, just please be better, do this, do that, you can, you can be better. I just thought, oh, okay, that's, that's what I need to do. But I suddenly realized a weakness in myself because God had asked me to do this. And the weakness is this. 
Sometimes I can't sit still and just be present in my son's life when he's trying to play tractors or he's doing, you know, wanting to show me his stuffed animals because I feel like I have to be on my phone because if I'm not on my phone and I'm not emailing or I'm not doing work, then I'm not important and I'm not getting things done and I'm not being productive. And if I'm not being productive, then I'm obviously not valued. I mean, it's crazy. When you start recognizing what God wants to do in your life through obedience, all of a sudden you start discovering that, holy cow, I actually have some weaknesses and I want us to stop looking at obedience as just this thing that we have to do. I think if God is calling you to do something this morning, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, this whole week, I think maybe you should look inside your soul and you should say, what is God telling me? Where is the weakness here? Because there is a weakness and sometimes it's confusing and sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it doesn't make sense and sometimes it's impossible. But I think God is looking at us in those moments and he's like, there is a potential weakness here and that's why I'm asking you because it's a two-way street. I'm going to get glorified because that's what I deserve. But at the same time, you're also going to grow because I care about your growth. Jonah didn't just, God didn't have to just use Jonah. He wanted to use Jonah so that Jonah would grow courage and boldness and all those things. It's a really big deal. And I'm running out of time, and so I want to I bring the band up here, and we're going to give ourselves an opportunity to do something this morning. I'm going to call up the people that are going to help with communion, too. And we're going to take just a moment this morning, and what this is symbolizing, what this is saying, is that, God, I am following after you. I'm pursuing you. That's what communion is. It's saying that I'm going to take the sacrifice that you made, and I'm going to choose to follow you and obey you. And in return, God is going to grow you to be the person that he made you to be. This has, never been, <laughs> this has never been about just obligation, about obeying God through obligation. This is about dedication to God. See, I think the first level of obedience is obligation. I think the second level is dedication. And when you find your, yourself in a place of dedication, you'll realize that he wants to change your heart. He wants to do something through you. And ultimately, he wants to grow you. The band's going to take a little time to play a little bit of music. And we're going to go ahead and have, we'll have a couple up here, a couple right there, and then a couple back at that exit sign back there. And if you just pick one of the spots, if you're interested in doing communion, we'll go ahead and do that together. And I, I want you to take that bread, and, and when, you, when you pick off the bread and you dip it in the grape juice, I want you to think about what God did. I want you to think about the sacrifice that he made. And I want you to get emotional about that to the point that you think, if he did this for me, I gotta be willing to do things for him. The definition of insanity, I'll probably say it every time I'm up here, it's my favorite definition because it's doing the same thing over and expecting different results, right? And when we don't obey God and we don't feel blessed or we don't feel like we're growing, maybe it's because we not obeying God. Maybe it's because we're not taking time to look in our hearts and see what weaknesses are there. I must have tons of weaknesses because I always feel like God is asking me to do something. And in those moments, I recognize what he's trying to do. He's trying to grow character in me because my value isn't in my work. My value is not standing up on this stage. I'm not trying to be this great speaker. I'm trying to be a great servant. And I want to serve God in any way I can. And I hope that's what you do. So we're going to take just a quick moment. So after I serve these individuals, if you want to go ahead and get up, Chandler will start playing a song, and then we'll do communion together.
always so humbled to be in, in the room with, with you guys because this is, this is the church. <laughs> you know, I, I say it all the time, but it's just the truth. It's not the, it's not the walls or anything. This is the church, and I'm so honored that, that you guys and other people that are at other churches this morning are taking time to, to celebrate, to honor Jesus because that's what it's about. My challenge to you this week is simply this. I just, I ask that when God calls you to do something, would you ask him what's there? Would you dive into the, into the roots of, of maybe what he's asking you? If he's asking you something that you think is incredibly, incredibly small, there might be something really big there. Maybe he wants to grow courage in you, and so he's going to ask you to, to jump outside your comfort zone. Maybe he wants to grow, grow boldness in you, and he's, he's wanting you just to, to take that leap of faith. Maybe he knows that there's some things that, that are in your life that, that need to need to kind of get rid of, and maybe he's asking you to take some steps of accountability because he wants you to be the person that he created you. If you'd go ahead and bow your, your heads with me, that'd be great. Lord, we come before you, and uh, we're honored. We're undeserving. And you fill our hearts with grace and mercy. Uh, you died on the cross for us. I have to think that when you're in the garden and you ask God that maybe he could take this cup from, from you, you knew, you knew what he was asking, but sometimes the asks are difficult. I think you painted that picture so that we would know that we wrestle with you, that we question some of the stuff that takes place because it is confusing sometimes. It is difficult sometimes. It is challenging. And in that moment in the garden, when you painted that amazing, beautiful picture, you said, it's not just my will, God, it's your will. Let it be done. And that's exactly what I asked this morning for us. You're calling us to do things. You're wanting us to do things. You want to use us this is a two-way street you're not just having us obey you so that you know that just for just for the sake of glorifying you although that's exactly what you want God you are such a good God and a smart God and a brilliant God that you actually made it so that when we obey you we might be able to recognize a weakness that we had and we grow in that and then we look back someday and all of a sudden the things that you're asking us maybe that particular situation isn't as hard anymore because we've gotten so used to obeying you and that weakness has either left us or it's just made us better people because we were able to recognize it. My challenge this week is that we, we pick those things out, God. We sense what you're asking us and what you're calling us to do. And we, we jump. We jump into what you have. Thank you for these wonderful people that are filled with humility and grace and mercy. I ask that we would be the church to each other. We would love on each other, and we'd be gracious to each other. Thank you, Jesus. In your amazing name, amen.